Thessalonians this morning, chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're going to talk about being troubled and shaken, troubled and shaken. I'm sure a lot of people this past week were troubled and shaken for one reason or another. Uh, maybe you have been troubled or shaken yourself. Maybe there are situations within your family that have you troubled. Maybe something happened uh, physically. Maybe something happened relationship-wise uh, that has you shaken, a little bit shaken. Or maybe you're, everything's okay on a personal level, but you're looking at the world and you're thinking, oh, what a mess, what a mess. I'm troubled at what's going on. I, I, I wake up and I'm trembling. And I've watched the news and it's not good. And I, and I see things happening. And I hear people saying things and it's just not good, it's not good. And I'm troubled by that. And so we're going to read in 2 Thessalonians about some people who were troubled because they had been given some misinformation. And Paul uh, wrote Thessalonians, and he was actually the founding pastor of the church in Thessalonica. And his main message is a message that we love today, and that was that Jesus is coming back. How does that make you feel when I say that? Jesus is coming back. We love that message, and we have been delving into that on Sunday nights and talking a lot about that, and as I was thinking about what to preach on this morning, uh, even before uh, everything happened this week, I thought this is a good time to just do a, uh, a recap, not really a recap, but talk about uh, some important aspects of what's going to be happening. I know a lot of folks aren't able to come back and be with us on Sunday night, so I just want to and for those of you that do, don't think this is just going to be a rehashing of things we've already talked about. Because again, you just said it's, a good, time, it's good to talk about the fact that Jesus is coming back. And that was Paul's message. And he, he loved to give that message that Jesus was coming back. But there, see, there was a lot of confusion about that in the church of Thessalonica. Just like in our churches today, there's a lot of confusion. Well, when's he coming back? And what's going to happen after he comes? And, and what happens later on after that? And, and does this happen first, or does that happen first? There was just a lot of confusion. So in 1 Thessalonians, he was talking about exactly what happens, exactly what happens when Jesus returns in the clouds. And the dead in Christ shall rise, and those who remain shall be quickly changed. Amen. Looking forward to that day. And we're going to be caught up together with the Lord in the air. That just, sounds, that just sounds amazing, but it also sounds unbelievable and impossible. How many of you have ever wished you could fly? Wouldn't that be great? How many of you have flown in your dreams? <laughs> How many of you have flown in a plane or ridden in a plane? Yeah, okay. It's not the same, though, if, than if you were just flying by yourself. That just seems to me like an exciting thing. That's the, that's the least exciting thing that will be taking place. But anyway, that was Paul's message. And, and since he wrote that first letter, some people had come along and they had caused uh, some people within the church to be afraid. Because what they were saying is that the day of the Lord had already happened. That Jesus had already come back. And so they, so they were also saying that they had had another letter from Paul that said that Jesus had already returned. So they were confused, and they were upset about this. And they were, quite frankly, they were afraid. 
And so Paul sent this second letter, which we're going to read some from today, uh, to tell them, no, 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 Jesus has not returned. And in writing this letter, he also kind of laid out God's prophetic agenda about how things were going to happen and how things were going to take place. And he also introduced a character in these verses that we have all come to know as the Antichrist. And we all have plenty of questions about him and what's going to take place when he is on the scene. Let's go ahead and read from 2 Thessalonians. We're going to read from chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that day of the Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first and the man of sin or the man of lawlessness be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, ha- he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. So what's being talked about here is what a lot is, is something that's mentioned a lot in Scripture. And that is the day of the Lord. And a lot of people believe that the day of the Lord is not the day of the Lord is not one single day or one 24-hour period, but that it, it refers to the time when God is going to intervene in human history and set in motion the events that are going to lead to the world. We've all heard about the end of the world. We've all heard about Armageddon. We've heard about the millennium. We've heard about uh, the rapture, and we've heard about the second coming of Christ. But A lot of scholars believe that the day of the Lord will begin the day that Christ raptures the church out of this world, and then the the millennium will take place. It'll it'll be the thousand-year reign. It'll run through, rather, the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, which is the millennial reign. And so some people might say, well, how can you call a thousand years or so a day? And I just referenced a scripture from 2 Peter 3.8 that says, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like unto a day. So if you're confused about all that, don't be, don't be alarmed, because so were the disciples of this church. So he points out a couple of things, and I want to point those out to you this morning, uh, that's got to happen before the day of the Lord takes place. A couple of things that has to, have to happen. And then he gives us the key to understanding uh, world events that are going to take place during this time. So first of all, before the day of the Lord can take place, the church will be removed. And how is the church removed? By the rapture, absolutely. So the rapture will take place. You know, he started this whole, uh, these these verses off by saying, concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him. He's like, okay, concerning that time, concerning what's going to happen. And, as we read through this, we understand there's some important things that, that we need to know and 
really should have known all this time, but now we can know for sure, and that is that anybody who tries to predict when Jesus Christ is coming, and I mean down to a day, to, to, to choose a day or a date for him to come, well, it's, it's pointless and it's fruitless. Uh, Paul had to write to them, Paul had to write to these people in Thessalonica because they were afraid that Christ had already come. They'd been duped by these false prophets. But Jesus tells us in Matthew uh, chapter 24, he says, if anybody says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, don't believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear. No one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So the only one that knows when Jesus is coming back is who? God the Father. Absolutely. That's what it says right there in Matthew chapter 24. Now, Jesus did say we could know the season of, of the return, even though nobody knows the exact dates. I mean, you, he, Jesus told the disciples uh, a parable about the fig tree. And he said that when the fig tree puts forth leaves, you know that spring is coming. And that makes sense. It works the same around here. When some of our trees start to sprout leaves, we know that spring is coming. And so Israel in Scripture a lot of times is symbolized, Israel is symbolized by the fig tree. And back in 1948, and we talked about this on Sunday evenings, and you'll remember this, back in 1948 when Israel, Israel was reestablished as a nation, and a lot of people saw this as the fig tree putting forth its leaves again uh, for the first time in many, many, many years. So we can see from that that we are in the season. It seems very possible and almost a sure thing that we are in the season of the Lord coming back. And we've even talked about how he could come back today, and then the middle of the tribulation would be three and a half years from now. You know, these things are taking place and have taken place for us to be able to say that. But it's still, even though we know it seems to be the time, and, and the, the olive tree has put forth leaves, or Israel has become a nation and put forth leaves again, we, we can say it seems to be so close and so near, but we don't need to worry about a day because we'll never be able to figure it out. And it's fruitless to even try. I really like what Warren Wearsby said. Warren Wearsby has written many books, and he's a great biblical commentator. And he said that the purpose of biblical prophecy is not for us to make a calendar, but to build character. Jesus warned us not to set dates for his coming, he said. So for us to see that the end is coming is an opportunity for us to allow the Lord to get things in order in our lives. Now, as Christians, we know he's taken care of our sin, and he has redeemed us, and we know where our future is. Our future is in heaven. But how are we living today? What is our character today? as we live our lives at our jobs and at schools and wherever we go, is our character that of a Christian? We're going to have an opportunity in the days ahead for us to show that we're Christian, that we're Christ-like, that we love God and that we love people when we have conversations about some of the things that are happening in our culture. 
It is an opportunity as we look at prophecy for us to build character and allow the Lord to work through us how He wants to work through us. So it's pointless, though, to sit around and try to figure out the day because only the Father knows the day. Something else that's important to take note of is that when the church is raptured out, that the restraint against evil will be gone. The restraint against evil will be removed. Now he wrote, Paul wrote in these verses, that there is a force at work in this world that is restraining evil and even restraining the appearance of the Antichrist right now. What would you say that force is? Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Uh, For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. So just imagine, I mean, we, we, I think, are all in agreement that that is the Holy Spirit. And I think we're all in agreement, too, that we live in a wicked world today. But can you imagine how wicked the world will be when the rapture takes place and all the Christians are removed from this world? Can you imagine what it's going to be like? We know there's corruption, moral corruption everywhere. But we are the salt of the earth. And like salt is used to preserve meat, we are used to preserve the goodness that is in this earth and that is on this earth. We kind of slow down the process of moral decay. We have fought. We have prayed. We have uh, done our best to try to make sure that the things that are right and that the things that are of God are upheld And we stand for these things, so it holds back the moral decay. It does seem like, though, it it seems like it's gaining an edge at times. And, you know, there's spiritual darkness everywhere, too, but we're the light of the world. But can you imagine what it's going to be like when the light is gone and how horrible that it's going to be? But we will be gone before the millennial reign takes place before anything like the Antichrist or the mark of the beast is is part of what's going on in the world, we're going to be pulled out of here. Now, there are a lot of different thoughts about this and a lot of different people who think differently, but God takes care of His people. And through Scripture, I believe we see, and we've talked about this on Sunday nights at, at great length, that we're not going to be here. Now, here's, here's the temptation. Well, if I'm not going to be here when all that bad stuff is going on and I'm saved and I'm going to heaven, then I can just kind of I can just kind of coast, right? I can kind I don't have to pay my bills. I don't have to do I don't have to do the right right thing all the time because I know where I'm going and I know that that I'm not going to be here when all that bad stuff is taking place. But what did Mr. Wearsby say just a few minutes ago? We have the Word of God. We have prophecy to help us build character. And we're here to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So every decision that we make, the, the lost world is watching us. Every decision that we make, every, every way that we respond to whatever's going on in the world, people are looking and people are watching. And we still have a responsibility to uphold and do the things that are moral, and that are right. It's just like the people who said in Corinthians, well, because of the grace of God, I can just live any way that I want to. 
Now, we don't believe that either. We're thankful for the grace of God. And because of the grace of God, we want to live honoring God and obeying God. Amen? Do you not want to do what you can to show God that you love Him by the way you live your life and the things that you say? Now, I know sometimes we're, I'm, I'm all about what I want, and I think I have a right to say this in this situation. So sit down and shut up and listen to what I have to say. I mean, we feel that way sometimes. But what does God want to say through us? And what does He say? Whatever you do, do it out of love. And so when we, when we have that thought to tell somebody to sit down and shut up and listen to what we have to say, are we doing it out of love? Mm, what do you think? Are we doing it so that I can get up on my spiritual pedestal and look down at you and point at you and tell you how awful you are? What we do, we do out of love. And we allow God to work through us and make the changes and do the stuff that needs to be done until he pulls us out of here. So, the church will be raptured out before this all takes place. There's also going to be, in, this verse, in these verses that we read, there's going to be a great moral and spiritual decline that will take place before the day of the Lord. Um, he said, that day will not come until the falling away, or you could even say the rebellion occurs. And you know what? Throughout the history of the church, there have been periods similar to this that seemed like it might be, be that time. But there is coming a time, and Scripture is referring to a time, when there is a great departure from the truth. A great departure from the truth. And this will happen within the church, and this will happen within society as well. Do you feel in your spirit that there is a great departure from truth going on in our country today, in our world today? Do we see even churches that are forsaking absolute truth nowadays? I think we do. I think we do. Um, we see people within the church, people of faith, that are teaching that sinful behavior can be accepted and really even celebrated uh, in, some, in some situations. And they're exchanging, what they're exchanging is the standard of God's Word for what happens to be popular at the moment. We used to say a lot politically correct. But we're exchanging the, the we're changing, exchanging the absolute true word of God for whatever's popular, whatever opinion is popular at the time. And we're and a lot of people are teaching that they really the only sin today is the sin of intolerance. When I tell you, and please understand this, when I tell you that we need to love one another and we need to love people who, who perform abortions and we need to love people who have abortions, we need to love people who choose an alternate lifestyle or we need to love people who are confused about identity issues and things like that. We need to love them. That does not mean that we, we accept and encourage behavior. But you got to understand, I I'm wrong sometimes. Somebody better be recording this or writing this down. I am wrong sometimes. And I need somebody to come along beside of me and in love show me and tell me, you know, look what God's Word says. 
I don't need you to judge me and condemn me and say, forget you. I don't need that. And nobody does. But we have to love. But the reason, the reason we want to love these people and give them truth is because we know that they're confused. Remember when you were confused? Remember when you were lost and you didn't know that there was a Savior? Remember when you didn't understand wanting to go to church or being forgiven of your sins? You remember when you didn't understand that? You were confused. And so then the Holy Spirit began to work on you. You began to hear scriptural truth. Maybe you heard preaching. Maybe you had teaching. You were under some teaching. Maybe you had a friend. Maybe a loved one. who began to explain the things of faith to you. And God did a work in your heart and He changed you and He removed that confusion. He opened up your eyes, right? Once I was blind, but now I can see. Once I was dead, but now I live. And these people are confused. And they say, well, I'm born this way. Or I, I'm not sure how I was born. They're confused. And they need to hear truth from someone who loves them. And as God's people, we're supposed to love them. We're very quick to condemn, and we're very quick to judge. And when we see something wrong, we need to understand that it's wrong. And we don't need to just agree with it or, or support it. But we need to pray and ask the Lord to help us and to use us and to work through us in that situation. Well, I went a little bit further with that than I intended to. But we see that in churches today, trading the absolute truth for whatever is popular, whatever is going to make everybody okay and ease the tensions and make it uh, you know, bearable for us to be in the same room together. Now, Paul, when he wrote to Timothy, he described the moral condition of people during the last days. And tell me if this doesn't sound like what we're going through today. This is from 2 Timothy chapter 3. Difficult times will come in the last days for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God holding to a form of godliness, but denying its power. It's like me saying, well, I'm, I go to the bar every Friday night to witness for the Lord. Think about that. I, I, I believe in God as I, as I engage in this alternate lifestyle. I'm a Christian. I just don't ever go to church. I don't ever support the church. I don't really ever pray for the church. But I'm a Christian. A form of godliness, but denying its power. I feel like we're in that time right now. I believe there's a great uh, rebellion that's taking place in our world. And it just seems to be getting bigger and bigger. But there's going to be one clear sign that the day of the Lord has already started. And fortunately for those who are believers, we're not going to be here to witness that sign. But he gave this as a sign for them to know 
that Jesus has not come back already. Because the revelation of the Antichrist will signal that the day of the Lord has begun. Now we hear that word and, and we wonder, oh, who is it going to be? Is he alive today? Paul wrote here that the day will not come until the man of lawlessness is revealed. He will oppose and he will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped. So this is the man of lawlessness. This is the son of perdition. Uh, Daniel called him the prince of the people who will come to destroy Jerusalem. In Revelation 13, John called him the beast. And Antichrist, which means against Christ, the word itself is only in Scripture a handful of times. But this is what John wrote. He said, as you have heard, Antichrist is coming. Even now, Antichrists have come. This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. So after the rapture of the church, after the church has been raptured out of here, then this person will actually be the planet's first global leader. He will lead the world. And he will come out of the chaos of the disappearance of the church. And he will rally the troops and bring everybody back around and calm everybody down. And he will put together a one-world government and a one-world economy, and he will be working towards a one-world religion where everybody in the world will worship him. There's been a lot of people over the last hundred years uh, that have been wrongly identified as the Antichrist. I'm just going to give you a few here. Uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Mussolini, Hitler, Stalin, John F. Kennedy, Ayatollah Khomeini, Ronald Reagan, Mikhail Gorbachev, Yasser Arafat, Bill Clinton, Bill Gates, Papa Smurf, Barney the Purple Dinosaur. Yeah, really. But what can we know about the Antichrist? And I want to finish with this. What can we know about this Antichrist? Well, one thing we'll know and read about in Scripture is that he is a peacemaker. That may be surprising. He is a peacemaker. And, and Daniel is really the first prophet that helped us to understand something about the Antichrist. And he said in Daniel chapter 9, he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. So in Daniel 9, the angel Gabriel gives Daniel this prophecy of a time period covering God's plan for all the ages. And in, this, in, in the book of Daniel, and even here, what I just read, Daniel mentions a seven-year period that will take place. Now, who knows what that seven-year period is called? Tribulation. It will be the tribulation. And at the beginning of this seven-year period, which takes place after the rapture of the church, the Antichrist is going to broker a peace treaty and with Israel and the Arab nations, and he's going to, he's going to bring, bring peace. And it's going to be amazing uh, to see this, and the people will be amazed. But in the middle of that seven-year period, 
He's going to break that treaty. And he will, well, we're talking about the fact that he's a, a peacemaker now, so let's keep up with that. But, you know, think about how popular a world leader is going to be that can successfully bring about a peace treaty between Israel and the Arab world. Um, and also going to be able to bring together during this time all the different faiths and all the different religions of the world. This man will, will be, all, be put on a pedestal for sure. He's amazing. He's wonderful. Can you imagine a leader that everybody agrees on? Can you imagine that? That doesn't seem possible, does it? <laughs> Sometimes that seems almost as hard to understand as the fact that God has forgiven you of all of your sins, right? You know, everybody agreeing he is going to be the man of the year. There's not going to be anybody like him. So he's going to be a peacemaker, but he's also going to be a peace breaker. And we read about that or mentioned that here just a few minutes ago. I'm going to read from Matthew 24. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, then there will be great tribulation such as has not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever will be. So again, you, you said this seven-year period is called the tribulation period. Um, that's what Jesus called it. And, and Paul mentions that this man of lawlessness is the one who is going to set himself up. He's going to set himself up in God's temple. He's going to have a statue erected of himself, and he's going to require everyone to come and worship this at this statue and worship him. He's going to demand that he be worshiped. Now, this can't happen this very moment because a temple has not yet been built, rebuilt in Jerusalem. But all the articles and all the implements of the temple have already been manufactured or are being manufactured right now. And they are being manufactured according to the specifications of the book of Leviticus. We're just waiting for the temple to be built. So... Imagine that this leader uh, initiates this peace treaty and then he gives the Jews permission to build the temple and everything is coming together. And once again, as the church, we will not be here because he will have raptured us out. And one final thing I want to say about the Antichrist, and this is something I think everybody understands. He's a peacemaker, he's a peacebreaker, but he is a persecutor as well. The Bible says, a mouth was given to him to speak boasts and blasphemies, and he was also given authority to act for 42 months. So that, that's a three and a half years, three and a half years that Daniel and, and Revelation and Scripture tells us about. Um, Daniel wrote, he began to speak blasphemies against God, to blaspheme his name and his dwelling, those who dwell in heaven, and he was permitted to wage war against the saints and to conquer them. Now, a question a lot of people have is, will there be Christians in the tribulation period? Because the church has been raptured out. But will there be, will there be Christians? And we know that there will be, because in Revelation chapter 7, we're told about a hundred and 44,000 Jewish evangelists that will be spread out across the world to preach the gospel 
of Jesus Christ. And then in Revelation 14, seven chapters later, they are identified as being redeemed. But there is a cost for following Christ during the tribulation period because it will not end well for them. We know that Antichrist is a persecutor and he will, he and his forces will torture and kill these saints. These are the ones in the tribulation period that will not receive the mark of the beast. Those that won't be allowed to shop for food. So he will be persecuting them. He will be killing them. So I know a lot of, of speculation has taken place about the mark of the beast and and, you know, there was even talk uh, a while back with the, um, um, the shots for COVID. You know, are they secretly sticking a microchip in our bodies? You know, the, the mark of the beast is something that you will be able to willingly accept or refuse. And it's not going to be your problem anyway, because the church is where? It's been It's been what? It's been raptured out. And that's good news, amen? How many of you would be okay if it happened before this service ended? Before we say our closing prayer and say amen, what if Jesus pulled us out of here? It could happen. Are you ready? Or are you willing to take your chances living through the tribulation period just to see what that's all about. I encourage you, if you're not saved, to get saved and just to read about the tribulation. Read about the Antichrist. Read about the mark of the beast in Scripture and let that be enough for you. So here's our takeaway for today. And I think this is great in light of what's happened this week because we're probably questioning what's going to happen to our country. How, are, how is this going to play out uh, how hard is it going to be to be an American this 4th of July? And here's the bottom line. You know, Paul wrote these words so that the people at Thessalonica would not be troubled and so that they would not be shaken. He wanted to explain things to them. And God's the same way with us. He, he does not want us to be disturbed by world events. He does not want us to be afraid and terrified by the chaos that takes place in the world today. This is what Paul wrote at the beginning in this chapter. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, don't become easily unsettled or alarmed or shaken or troubled. And then he wrote, about, he wrote this about the second coming of Christ. He said, encourage one another. Encourage one another not to be troubled. Encourage one another not to be shaken or unsettled. You know, when we, when we hear somebody talking about the news and how bad it is, be that Christian that's always got to talk about Jesus coming back and Jesus being in control of everything. Be that Christian because that's the truth. I don't know, do we, just, do we get tired of hearing the truth or do we just like to grumble and complain about things. I think, I think there's a gene in here somewhere where we like to complain. You know, it's, we, we have a gene that causes us to want to complain about things. 
You know there's a gene that causes shyness? They just found it recently, and they would have found it sooner, but it was hiding behind another one. We love to complain, but you know what? Let, you know, let's nip it in the bud. Let's, let's, let's get rid of the complaining and think, but you know what? God's got this. Everything in my life is turned upside down. Nothing's right, but God's coming. He's going to take me out of here, and, he's gonna, and, and before he takes me out of here, he's going to help me through all this. He's going to take care of us. He's going to take care of me. Sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and I don't feel like that and I feel shaken and troubled and unsettled. But I got to encourage myself in the Lord and be reminded, like, like David encouraged himself, be reminded of how great my God is and how much he loves me. Paul wrote this letter at a time when the, when the Jews were going through a really hard time. Uh, Claudius had been emperor. He was not good to, to the people. Uh, then when his son came into power, he was 17 years old. His name was Nero. And for 15 years, uh, he brutally killed thousands of Christians. And this was scary times. But Paul was telling them, don't be unsettled. Don't be troubled. Don't be alarmed. And that is good advice for us because we have got stuff going on in our world that, that troubles us and, and causes us to be unsettled. God is in control. In, this, in Psalm chapter 2, um, this is what the psalmist said. He was upset and he was frustrated. He said, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Why are the bad people prospering? Why is all the bad stuff that's going on and, and, and the bad people that like all the bad stuff going on celebrating? You know, why is this happening? Why is this taking place? And then in verse number four, we read that the one enthroned in heaven laughs. He rebukes them in his anger. So what does that mean? Well, while we're down here wringing our hands and worrying about world events, God is on the throne. He is totally in charge, and he isn't worried because there is no panic in heaven. But there are plans in heaven. We like to know that plans have been put into place. Anytime we undertake anything, at work, at home, when we're going on a vacation, we like to know that plans have been made. Because when plans are made, things have been thought out. We've considered what happens if this happens or that happens, and we've got a, we've got a plan to take care of it if, if that happens. That's what God has done. He's, he's planned everything out already. Remember the one that knew you in the womb and had plans for you and already had good works set up for you to do? He's also the one that has planned when he's going to take you out of this mess and let the other things that have been planned take place. He's not panicking. He's scoffing at these things. He's not worried about anything because he's got everything under control. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 46. I'm going to end with this. I am God, and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. I will do all that I please. So remember that song we sing as children? I don't know if... They sing it now, but I remember singing it as a child. 
He's got the whole world in his hands. You remember that? that that's, that's very scriptural, isn't it? You know what it says in John chapter 10? As a child of God, no man can pluck me out of the Father's hands. And God has a plan, and as his child, you are part of that plan. And he is, he is taking care of you now. I know some people who have been sick these past several weeks that have had things happen to them, and they've come and said, I think I've had an angel watching over me. God took care of me in that situation. It could have been so much worse. God will do the same thing for you. He's got you in his hand. Nobody can pluck you out. He's going to take care of you to the very end. He's going to take care of you through the end. And he's going to take care of you on the other side of the end for eternity, forever and ever. Does that encourage you this morning? I believe it will, unless you're sitting there wondering, what about me because I'm not saved? What about me because I've never taken the opportunity to say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I want you to save me. I want you to forgive me of my sin. I want to be your child. I want to know that what they, we have talked about today is true for me. I'm a sinner and I know it and I can't fix it. But I believe you died on the cross to take care of my sin and that you want to save me. And I want you to save me. That's all it takes. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Let's all stand if you want you to bow your heads for just a moment.